I invite you to open with me to Titus chapter 2. Our series is a topical series. We're looking at women of faith. And I initially chose this passage because I've heard so many good messages on, on women who mentor well. And they leave a godly legacy in the church. And that's why I initially chose this passage. And I said, all right, let's, let's focus on just those couple verses talking about mentoring women. But I got to admit something. As a preacher and as a pastor, when you work through a text, you have two decisions to make. You could be the master of the text and, and use it to say whatever message you want. Or I think the right approach is we allow the text to master us. And as I properly understood the context for this passage and I understand what is the main point being communicated, yes, it does talk about women of faith and mentoring, but that is a snapshot within a fuller picture of what is going on in the body of Christ as we live in healthy community, as we pursue Christ together. And as you turn to Titus, if you don't know much about Titus, Titus was a young pastor and he was a church planter as well. So I, I would get along well with him if I was in a room together, I think, because we, we would understand each other and it's some of the unique challenges of starting a new church. And Paul writes to Titus to tell him, here's some secrets to a healthy church, whether you're a young church like us, like Titus's, or, or an established church. Don't be surprised that one of the secrets to a healthy church smack dab in the middle is there are women of faith who are serving the Lord and loving others well. That should go without saying. And we're so thankful for the godly women Godly men that are essential to the life of the church. But here, Paul sets a beautiful picture of what the church should look like in the midst of such a crooked and perverse world. With all the messed up stuff going on around you, here is what the true teaching and living of the body of Christ should be. We should be people of the word. And when we're on the word, we stand tall for Jesus and we grow and we flourish no matter what the world throws at us. Now, that's something to be said for Titus because he's planting on a rock of an island called Crete. And Crete had a reputation. It wasn't a good one. I don't know if you've seen the Pirates of the Caribbean, but Tortuga, the, the pirate hole and hangout. It's basically one big bar and, and drunken, you know, brawl and party all at once. All of the pleasures of this world can be found at Tortuga. Well, Paul already told Titus in chapter 1, verse 13, Cretans are always liars, lazy, and they're gluttons. Gluttons and drunkards. You kind of tie that in together. And he's actually quoting one of their own uh, authors, one of their own poets. And he says, this testimony is true. He said, that's true. This is the context you find yourself in, Titus. God bless you, man, as you plant a church there. But let me show you how God's community of people can flourish in the midst of this crooked place because there is a difference. There's a difference between the church and the world. And when we're grounded in the word, and when you have nurturing men and women in the flock, and when we have humility to grow, we shine beautifully and brilliantly in the world around us. So let me read Titus 2, verses 1 through 8, and then 11 through 15. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, or slaves to much wine, they are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, 
to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing to evil to say about us. Down to verse 10. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now, I'm not going to be able to preach on every single point of every verse I just read, but there's the context. And do you see my, my conundrum? Uh, we're talking about women of faith, but this text is about the word. And it's about what happens when the church of Christ stand on the word and nourish each other with the word. We disciple one another with the word and what that does to our spiritual growth. So let's dig in. Let's see what God has to say to us this morning. Point number one of this beautiful picture of the community. A healthy community is rooted in the word of God. you got to define that term healthy. Right? What is healthy? Because there's a lot of churches out there that would claim to be healthy. But when you look at the heart of the matter, God would say differently. Now the Bible says that the Bible is healing. Proverbs 3.8 says that the teaching and commandments of the word are healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now, I think we'd all agree that people are hurting around us like never before. Would we agree on that? Our world is more messed up than ever before. The suicide rates are jumping up like never before. Mental health and depression and anxiety and loneliness and divorce and everything else the system is worse than before. Politics, worse than before. People's trusted institutions, nonprofit, secular, you name it. There's an emptiness. And scripture tells us there's an emptiness of the soul. There is devastation and barrenness. Ezekiel 37 says that the people of Israel, when they turn their back on God's word, they're like a valley of dry bones. It's exactly who we are. Because it's God's word that brings health and life, brings healing, healing to the nations, healing first to the church. This is why Paul tells Titus, as for you, teach what accords with healthy doctrine, or the word sound. It, it's a synonymous term, sound or healthy. This is the belief that we have and this is what we cling to because it brings healing to the world. That word doctrine, the big word, we don't use it a lot. And oftentimes when you hear people downplay its importance in the church today. Oh, doctrine. That's for, that's for the academics. That's for the seminary classroom. No, it's for the church. Because you don't have the church if you don't have the doctrine that God's given us from his word. 
What is doctrine? It's a distinct and definite body of truth. There's objective truths that we cling to. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, then our faith is in vain. That's biblical. So the doctrine of the resurrection, this literally gives us living hope church. We wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the resurrection of Christ. That's just one doctrine. But, but you could sum it all up in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The good news, that's what he gives us in verses 11 through 14. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, bringing life. Because of that, we've been brought out of ungodliness. We've been brought out of the worldly passions. We live self-controlled, upright, and godly, godly lives in the present age. And it talks about the purification of the word. And when we hear the word and we study the word, we listen to God's word, and it takes root in our heart, there's health. There's life. In fact, if we don't ever receive God's word at the beginning and repent of our sins and put our faith in him, we will remain dead in our sins. Because those that receive the word receive the seed of life that leads to eternity. Tim Keller, well-known pastor and theologian, has been a, a great gift to the church, passed away this week. And he's known for this quote, which I think summarizes verses 11 through 14 so well. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Do you know how much doctrine is contained in that sentence? And how much doctrine can, comes from these words? Because it's from the mouth of God. This is truth. And because it's the truth, it is the only cure for the sickness of the soul. And that's why Paul tells Titus in verse 15, Declare, exhort, rebuke. With all authority, don't let anyone disregard you. Now, he is talking to a pastor. He's telling him, as you go into this wild west of a town and, uh, and, and a rock of an island with, with a whole lot of shady people, preach the word boldly. Because it's not just your doctrine or your truth. It's God's doctrine. It's God's truth. And that stands as the authority over any man. So you don't bow the knee to any man when it comes to the doctrine of God. You preach the word and you preach it boldly. So in North Sarasota, North Sarasota needs Jesus. They need healing from the word. They're not going to find it in themselves. They're not going to find it at the beach. They're going to find it in one place and one place alone. The word of God. So do you view yourself as a physician that has the cure to the cancer of the soul? Or when we go out of our house during the day, we kind of view we kind of view our neighbors as, oh, I don't know how they're going to receive this, or what if I offend them, or what are they going to think of me? Is that how a doctor enters into the room where a patient's waiting for him? And you have the scans, and you can see the spread of the cancer going on inside the body, and oh, I don't want to offend them. I don't know how this patient is going to take it. I don't know if they have insurance to cover it. Your job as a doctor is to tell them, here's what the cancer is, and here's how we're going to treat it. That's your only job. Friends, we have the cure. It's outside of us. Its authority is over us because it's from God himself. We don't worship the Bible. The Bible is the window through which we see the God of the universe, and we bow down and worship him. So let his word speak through you and bring health and healing. 
When we do that in the church, in our ministries, in our groups, there's health, and we continue to grow. But we don't just hear the word. We also see that when we open up the word and teach the word, we also must teach fitting for sound doctrine. It must be fitting. So this covers not just the right beliefs, but also the right practice. Because healthy church communities don't just preach the word. They also practice what they preach. Amen? We've been a part of a church that does not practice what they preach. And it's apparent to all. There's a sickness here. There's an illness. I might not be able to put my finger on it, but, but something doesn't add up. And it shouldn't add up. Think back with me to the Great Commission. When Jesus tells his lowly disciples, hey, you're going to start the church. You're going to be church planters all over the place. What's a church plant? I've never done this before. It's okay. I'll give you my Holy Spirit. I'll give you, I've given you my teachings. The Holy Spirit will bring it to mind. Okay, Lord. All right. And he tells them in the Great Commission, part of the Great Commission is to teach disciples to observe everything he has commanded. Sometimes we hear that and we just think, oh, we're supposed to teach people everything that Jesus has commanded. No, teach them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. That requires a life-on-life -life proximity. That requires walking in obedience to the word. It's not just a body of truth that we acknowledge and we assent to and we put it on our shelf. This is the way, the truth, and the life. This is the words of Jesus. All that he has commanded. Not just the words in red. Everything that God has revealed and entrusted to us in the canon of scripture. And we strive to observe that and obey. By the grace of God, we have the ability to say yes to Jesus and no to the flesh. So we want to live a fitting life. And we're going to get to this. Don't, don't think I've forgotten about this. But what about those women? What about those men in the faith? How do we, how do we nurture? Don't you think it's interesting that when Paul tells Titus that you are to teach what is fitting for sound doctrine, then he immediately begins to describe, here's what it should look like in the lives of the people in the church. Because the testimony of the church is the only evidence that our community sees if the word really works. Is the word really healing? You guys say it is, but I'm not seeing it in your life. I don't buy it. Now, I'm not saying that I'm the reason that someone goes to heaven or hell. Thank God that pressure cannot be on my shoulders. Goodness. God knows I have my issues. But as we strive to follow the word, as we revere the word, as we show people it's not just about me or my faithfulness. It's about the faithfulness of Jesus. And God keeps his promises. The Bible is full of messed up people. David and Saul and Moses and Abraham. These are faithless people, but God is faithful. That is how we show the world. This is who our God is. I'm messed up, but look at my Jesus. So we live a life that's fitting. So verse 5, that the word of God may not be reviled. The word of God would not be dishonored. There is a way to live a Christian life where we don't elevate the word of God. We put it down and we treat our human experience as just as important or human wisdom is just as important or the latest trends or, or the latest leadership lessons from the world, you know, or some some uh, religious practices. They have added books to the Bible 
or they have added uh, the uh, the Book of Mormon, and they they say, oh, it's even, it's it's even to the Word of God. No, you've just thrown God's Word in the dirt and elevated the opinion or the vision of man. But the worst way that you can revile the Word of God is to claim to believe its truths and to live a lie that is completely different. Yeah, Jesus is Lord and Savior. Meanwhile, I'm bowing down to mammon and, and vacation time and my investment fund and my golf game. Wait, I thought you just said Jesus is Lord. And what's all of this? That's the biggest way we revile God's word. Or yes, I think, I think God wants us to, uh, to keep our bodies with dignity and honor. Then why are you sleeping around? Is God a holy God who's over all, including your body, or is he not? Make up your mind, but don't revile the word of God. And when people look at our lives, what sermon do they hear? It's a convicting thought for all of us. I'm not preaching down at you. But I think we need to look at ourselves seriously in the mirror. More than anything, our actions betray what we really believe. And if you don't think the world is watching, let me ask you a question. Do you guys have a streaming service? Hulu? Disney? Netflix? Have any of those shows had a clergy member or a Christian as one of the characters in that story? And if so... What was the nature of their role in that show? Were they a positive character and a positive influence in the story? I guess it depends if, if your streaming service is Pure Flix or, or Right Now Media. But a lot of shows, what is it? The, the reverend is the hypocrite. The reverend is the dirtiest sinner in the room. And they justify their sin. Why does our world continually portray Christians in that light? Because they know that what you preach is what also you should practice. Now, I'll be honest with you. Most of the Christians that I know do not line up with the media's portrayal. But it only takes one, right? One hypocrite can paint an entire mindset for you. What a life of a believer is really like. So as we apply this point to our lives, is your daily life and rhythm grounded in God's word? Are you a grounded believer? Because you're not going to have fruit in your life. You're not grounded in the word. So that means daily repentance of sin. That's daily instruction from the Lord. Don't treat these verses like they were alive 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago. But they're not today. God wants to speak to you today by the Spirit. Do we open up the word in that way? Let him speak to and through us. As a church, how do we take the word from Sunday morning and live it out? One way we structured our, our ministry schedule through the week is that small groups would be that intersection where we take what we learn from, from Sunday, the doctrine, the, the formal teaching of the word, and we discuss it. We apply it. We keep each other accountable. We encourage each other. We pray for each other. Okay, how are we going to live it out this week? So that's the intersection. That's even how we approach this summer when we start our series on the names of God in the month of June. In our small groups, we'll discuss, well, how do we talk to the world about God? Which, which introduces apologetics. Because we understand what we believe is what also we should live. And then can I encourage you all to be preachers this summer? Go be gospel preachers. This community needs Jesus. 
Now, you don't need a, a music stand. You don't need a microphone to preach the gospel to people. But do you believe that you are commissioned with the same authoritative word of God to speak healing to the Valley of Dry Bones? Or do you just say, hey, you guys got to come on Sunday. That's the only time the word is alive. That this word is alive and you have it right there in your hands and in your lap. So a healthy community is rooted in God's word. A healthy community is also strengthened by nurturing men and women. So there's gospel implications for all of us. Young and old, men and women, God has designed the process of transformation. Get this, through us fallen people, us regular, ordinary people, we have a part in growing, mature followers of Jesus Christ for the kingdom of God. What a calling. What a gift. You get to be a part of this. And I would encourage everyone, whether our church or another healthy local church, and by God's grace, I believe we are a healthy church. We are young, but we are healthy and we are growing. I would 10 times rather have that than a very large church that is dead. That's just, that's just me, though. Okay, But whether it's our church or another church, you need to be part of a local church family where you actually get to know people and have an investment in their lives, and they have an investment in yours. It's too easy these days to, to listen to a podcast and say, well, I would have got the same thing on Sunday morning. So why not just hang out by the pool, listen to a podcast? I don't need to go to church. What are we talking about? Jesus commanded his disciples to make disciples. Did Jesus stay on this earth and keep preaching sermons on the mount to thousands and thousands of people? No. He said, I've got a throne to catch. You guys are going to have the Holy Spirit of God. You go and make disciples. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. It takes a disciple to make a disciple in the kingdom of God. And I don't know why God chooses to use me. That's just his grace. But that's why we need older men, verse 2, who are sober-minded. We're serious about the things of God. This is, this is a serious calling. Whether you're running slides in a PowerPoint, whether you're leading music, whether you're helping as a greeter, whether you're just working next to a neighbor, or you're, you have a family gathering for vacation this summer, we need men who are sober-minded about the word and the things of God. If we're addicted to alcohol, if we're addicted to, to pornography, if we got things in our life that are, that are dragging us down, then we're not able to focus our love and our attention on helping others because we ourselves are not receiving God's grace to be transformed. Um, now, older men doesn't necessarily mean old men, although no one here fits that category, just so we're clear. See, that's, that's, that's the beauty of the word. He doesn't say what old means, and I'm not going to say it either, okay? So, so older, younger, it's a relative term, but I think we all know in this room, all of us men are older than somebody, which means somebody is looking up to you. What example are you setting for them? Is it a dignified example? Not a perfect Christ follower, but someone who, who takes us seriously to walk in the ways of Jesus and to learn his word and live it out. They're temperate, which means they're disciplined. They're, they're, they're committed in their walk with Christ. They're not hot one week and cold the next. Although we all have our, our cold moments, no doubt about it. But if someone attaches their life to you to learn about Jesus, are they in for the wildest roller coaster of their life? Uh, an older man in the faith is more consistent with his ups and downs. He's learned to trust in Christ, even at the lowest points of his life. He's sound in the faith. So that word healthy again, he's healthy. You see faith, sincere faith. You see love, you see patience. 
Then we get to the women, verse 3. Likewise, older women. Those of, you who, those of you who've gone through stages in life and faith in your Christian walk, not just worldly wisdom, but spiritual wisdom, likewise, you need to have the same attributes as the men that he's just mentioned. Okay, so dignified, temperate, sound in the faith. And he even repeats in other sections, like 1 Timothy 3, the wife of a deacon, she cannot be a gossip, she cannot be a drunk. That's probably a good thing, right? The wife of a deacon should not be gossiping about people and should not be getting drunk. Okay, so, so at the baseline, are we temperate in our faith? Likewise, older women. But then he adds a couple things. Do you see that? He says they must be reverent in their behavior. So women who walk around knowing that whatever ground they're walking on is holy ground. God's plan is all over the world. He is on the throne. So it's not, well, I revere God and worship, and the rest of the week, it's like he's, he doesn't exist. No, they're reverent in their behavior. And in a lawless and sexually promiscuous society, one of the commentators says, these women, these reverent women, they're striving to live in fear of the Lord. Like Joseph, when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife. She wanted him to sleep with her. He says, how can I do that? God would despise. I can't do that to God. He had a fear of God. He was reverent. And ladies, you are priestesses of the living God. Where you go, the Holy Spirit of God is in you. You are a temple, just like the men. Likewise, live out your faith before others. And don't slander. Don't talk bad about people. The word used there, slander, is it's like the devil. It, that's one of his titles. Devil means slanderer. And so don't be a she-devil. Don't, don't slander people and talk bad about people. Even if they deserve it, you know, they might think they deserve it, but God, is this honoring to you? Okay, now I'm just going to nip myself in the bud right here. I'm going I'm to I'm I'm sip it right here. Because here's the deal. Ladies, do you realize how important your role is to nurture others in the body of Christ? And you don't just turn it on and you turn it off. Nurturing is a spirit. The spirit really that God has gifted women with in just an incredible way. I think it's interesting that he talks to women about this. But he holds off on the men until he gets back around to Titus in, in verse 5. But women are to be teaching what is good. People look to you as an example. You are the glue to our church family and our community. And and. That, that word to, to teach good, that's the only time that word is used in the New Testament. That's pretty special. Ladies, are we teaching goodness with our life? And you want to pass it on to the next generation. You want to encourage the young women. So it's a good reminder. When we have mentoring relationships or one-on-one -on -one discipling relationships, men disciple men, women disciple women. One, two, to to stay pure in our behavior and avoid any sticky situations. But two, ladies, you understand what those younger ladies are going through better than the men do. And men, similar to men, you can help each other learn how to lead your family. And you're here to encourage them so that you may encourage the young women to love their husbands and love their children. You're not yelling at them. And you're not one of those people, are you, that, that's always like, things were so much better back in my day. How do you think that makes young women feel today? 
That's the only life they have. They weren't alive back in the day, or they don't they, they didn't have the same cultural tendencies that you had back in the day. So how do you think that makes them feel? And you're like, oh, it's only good back then. I we need to pray for the women today. Never before has has um, biblical femininity been just thrown in the dirt. Even your very identity is is literally put a question mark on. Whatever you make it. Pray for these women. Encourage these women because discipleship is a two-way street. And when we love others and nurture them towards the faith, who else does that grow? It grows me. It grows you. Because now you have to look in the Bible and answer questions. You have to think, okay, I'm thinking about others this week. I'm praying for others. And if you don't know how to disciple somebody, we talk about it a lot. I'm just going to say these three steps real quick, okay? First of all, you got to connect with people. You got to be present. If you're not present, you can't disciple somebody. Discipleship doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in relationships. So we invite you into our small groups. Small groups are where you have quality time getting to know somebody, building relationships, finding out who who is uh, you know who is really their their spirit of prayer is just so sweet. Well, this person over here, wow, their Bible study. I envy that kind of Bible study. I want, I want to meet with them a little bit, try to try to understand that a little bit better. Or you might find somebody who is not confident in the faith at all. You say, you know what? I used to be like that. Hey, why don't we grab lunch sometime? And you just you're just connecting. That's all you're doing. And I know if you ask somebody straight up, cold turkey, hey, can I mentor you? Or will you mentor me? You just watch the panic set in. And I've seen it countless times in my life. I've seen it when I've asked people. My wife has asked people. Okay, here's how to avoid a panicked look. Just, just say, hey, I really admire your prayer life. You know, would you mind, uh, you know, if we get if we get lunch and you just tell me how you how you came to pray. You don't have to use the word mentor, but you recognize something in their life that you want to grow in, and you ask if they'd be willing to to connect. Sure, I can do that. And then if it goes really well and the Spirit's moving, hey, would you be willing to do this again maybe next month? I've got a few more questions. I mean, and just see what the Spirit does with that. And then maybe it becomes a little bit more formal. Hey, let, would you be willing to meet for six months or a year? Take me through a Bible study. But it's got to start with connection, and then it moves towards intentionality from there. You need to agree to a time frame, but here's the key. Be there and invest. If you're willing to do that, God can use you to nurture this church community. Third and final point. Paul tells us a healthy community grows through humility. A healthy community grows through humility. Pardon me. Verse 5. The word of God is not to be reviled. We don't want the word of God to be reviled. So, logically speaking, what needs to happen in order for someone who's nurturing to pass on truths about God to the next generation and they're ready and willing to receive it so that the world notices so that God gets the glory. If you want to be a part of the work that God is doing, there has to be so much, or at least a little bit, of humility. Because if you are not bowing the knee to God's will and His word and allowing Him to change your life, you're never going to be an example as, as beautiful as you could be. That's just the truth. It requires humility. And when you look at the specific things he tells these young women need to grow in their ability to do, oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean, 
That, I don't know that I have that humility, but God help young women to have this humility. First of all, to love their own husbands and children. Hey, that's not as easy as some of you might think. <laughs> Ask Lacey, okay? She'll, she'll tell you, oh, yeah, you know, I, I, it's not that hard to love Josh. But, but there are days where I am not as lovely as I would like to think. And especially in Titus's day, most marriages were arranged. You didn't date somebody for love, fall in love, and then get married. It's not how it worked. So it literally was something you had to learn how to do. This stranger that now has full access to me, and, and we're supposed to have this relationship, and there's expectations for childbearing and everything else. How do I love them? And they smell. Well, okay, here, here. Let's have a mentoring woman who's been there and understands that and has, has a healthy relationship with her husband to teach you, hey, here's some, here's some things. Here's some things I've learned from my journey in, in, in embracing this, this gift of marriage that God has given to me. And to love your children because they are not a burden on you. They, they are the greatest gift. These are the greatest disciples you will ever make. And as you walk humbly with the Lord and follow his will, by the way, we need to be discreet. We need to be sensible. Ladies, we need to have a soundness of mind and a self-disciplined lifestyle. This is something that you have to learn, and you can't learn it just by setting goals and going and crushing it out in the corporate world. That's what our world values so much today. And I'm not saying that all that is unfounded. Hey, set some goals. Work hard. Bring in some income for your family. Do a good job. That's awesome. I have so much respect for the hardworking women that we have. But what he's saying here is sensibility is something that has to be learned. That is a spiritual um, soundness of your mind. You got to be sensible. Our world elevates people who are not sensible. But maybe they found sudden success. They've got all this wealth. Look at this notable thing that they've done. But what the media doesn't really do, unless there's a big epic crash in their life, is tell us where things go from there. Look at the stuff that they did. Look at the trophy that they won. Oh, yeah, they had some, they had some addictions and stuff later in life. But, you know, look at the stuff that they did. And, and Paul is saying, hey, if you want to live a healthy, fruit-filled life, then we need to be sensible with the things that God has given us. We need to be discreet. Uh, so, for example... A negative example, I saw that there's an Australian millionaire, and he made the news because he has a $39 million penthouse suite in uh, you know that tallest tower, what was it, Burj Khalifa? Is that the tallest tower over, over in Dubai? And he's got this penthouse suite, I think on like the 50th floor. Well, he bought a $3 million McLaren, and it's not street legal, so what's he going to do with this McLaren? He goes ahead and he hires a crew with a crane, and they lift that McLaren 50 stories in the air and put it in his penthouse suite, and everyone's talking about it. Ooh, wow, look at that. I mean, that's a power move right there. Look at all the money this guy has. What is sensible about any of that? Now, sure, some people might be attracted to that, and you might get some, some really big traffic on social media, but... But how is that accomplishing what God has called us to do? I don't think that you can be foolish like that and extravagant like that and be really serious about the things of God. 
That's just that's two different ways of living. We also want God to work all the way into our hearts and even our bodies. So he says you need to be pure. There needs to be sexual purity. Let, let's be honest, guys. It's, it's not hard to fall into temptation and to give yourself up to that in this world. Men and women. It used to be when I was younger, they only talked about men who struggled with, with lustful thoughts. we got to do away with that. Paul's ahead of the time back here, 2,000 years ago. Uh, ladies, we need to be pure. Why? Because Jesus is pure. He made you. You are beautiful. You're not just some object to be used. You're not just an impulse. You're God's beautiful creation. And what could be more countercultural, more God-glorifying than to say, my body belongs to God. I honor him with my vessel. And, and I'm willing to, to take care of my own home first before I aspire after things in the world. That's what working at home means. We talked about this last week, the Proverbs 31 woman. Doesn't mean she stays at home and she sits in a chair and she knits like an old maid and does nothing uh, adventurous or, or worthwhile in her life. No, that's just talking about before you think about climbing any kind of corporate ladder, is there food in the pantry for your family? You know, are there shoes on your kids' feet? Is there, is there education needs being met? Are the bills being paid or is everything on credit? Okay, that, that's how we need to think in terms of the kingdom of God. Because if you don't appreciate what God has given you today, how are you going to appreciate him anymore when you reach the top of that ladder, if that's God's will? Do you see why humility is so important? We don't grow without humility. We're not thankful without humility. We're not content without humility. We can even have a, a wonderful home and a wonderful family, but feel like they're burdened. Because we feel like we deserve more. So why on earth do I want to be humble? Ladies, why on earth would you want to do something like love your husband or submit to him? Or, or pour your life or nurture other people? Why would I do that? So that people will see Jesus for who he is. In Matthew 20, verses 26 to 28, this is what our Lord tells us. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Ladies, I see beauty in your life. Church, I see beauty in this community. Especially when I see Jesus at work in you and how you serve and love one another. That humility is the most precious thing on earth because that's when God really has a hold of you and he does his greatest work through you. I can't remember who said it. I'm saying this off the top of my head, but you'll accomplish more in five minutes on your knees than in a 50-hour work week or, or even a 100-year lifetime. Do we really believe that? Our value is when people see Jesus in us, when they see the word, the living word, and they're drawn into that relationship. And when we shine that out to the community, they're attracted to it. So church, let us consider Titus 2 this morning. Women of faith and men of faith as well. There might be three groups of people here this morning. 
I'm not going to assume that every single one of you has a personal relationship with Jesus. I pray that that's the case. But if you are an unbeliever this morning, and maybe you've realized this has been just a book on the shelf that you run to for some self-help tips or some knowledge about, um, about maybe some history, but your life hasn't actually been centered on the good news of Jesus Christ, I invite you today, right there in your seat, you can turn from your sin, you can receive Jesus. You can accept the word for what it is, the truth about God, the healing for your soul. I invite you to do that. And if you are a believer and you have made that decision, then maybe you're one of two categories. You've never been discipled or you've never discipled somebody. Can I encourage you, apart from loving God and loving others, the, flow of, uh, the, the overflow of the Great Commandment is the Great Commission. This is our calling. It's not just your pastor's job to disciple people. I'll invite our worship team to come on up. I'm so grateful for their help. It's a good reminder that nothing that happens in this church is because of one person. It's because God is at work through us to one another. We have some resources there back at the table that can help instruct you in your faith and help you take someone else through it as you grow in yours. Now, please don't start mentoring someone one-on-one -on -one unless you at least have a little bit of an idea of what you're doing and you have a consistent walk with God. We don't need anyone riding a crazy roller coaster with you. But if you're willing, say, God, use me, we can speak about that in small group and help instruct you on how you can turn around and disciple others. Some of you are already doing that, and I thank God for that because that means you're in the third category, the people who are bearing the most fruit for Jesus as possible. Keep it up. Keep fully devoting yourself to Jesus. We are not going to grow through attractional methods, fancy light shows. We're going to grow as sincerely loving people, model the word to their neighbors, and invite them into that relationship as well. It's going to be real. It's going to be personable. It's going to be word-centered. And when we do that, we'll see a beautiful church community shine throughout all of North Sarasota.